everybody. Welcome back to the Inside the Journey podcast. I am one of your hosts, Haley Rianne Osheski. And today, Abby is not going to be joining me. I'm going to be doing a solo episode talking specifically about ectopic pregnancy. Um, nothing that I'm going to be sharing in this podcast is going to be medical advice. Um, it's just going to be kind of sharing my experience and journey with an ectopic pregnancy and hopefully help somebody else out there that might suspect they have one or um, has gone through one, not feel so alone, or maybe have some insights as to what to do or what to pay attention to or signs and stuff like that. So feel free to let me know if you have any questions about this topic after you listen to this episode, you can head over to our Facebook group that you can find at inside the journey pod or no, it's just inside the journey.com. You can find our Facebook group in there and you can feel free to leave any questions or comments that you might have about this topic, but we're just going to kind of dive in and get started. And I'm just going to kind of just let you guys know what happened for me and how everything kind of unraveled with being diagnosed with an ectopic pregnancy and then how everything unfolded. And then I'm going to kind of go into some of the questions that I got from you guys on my Instagram stories, as well as on the Facebook group. So to get things started, um, my ectopic was back in April of 2019. I first was totally unaware that anything wrong was going on. Um, the pregnancy was completely uh, a surprise. My twin sister found out she was pregnant. And then jokingly about a week later, we she told me like, you should take a pregnancy test. And I did. And lo and behold, I was pregnant. Um, I immediately went to my doctor's office where they did an HCG blood draw. And at that point, my doctor immediately moved me to a high risk pregnancy doctor because I was on some medications due to a other medical issue that I had experienced a few, like about a month prior um, dealing with sleep deprivation. So I was on some pretty heavy um, antipsychotics, antidepressants, all that kind of stuff. So I had to go to a high risk doctor and that's a story for another day. But in a nutshell, um, when they got my HCG blood draw back and they looked at my report of my last period, they had determined I was probably about five to six weeks along and my HCG came back around in the, the 200s, which I guess is not immediately an alarming risk of thinking anything's wrong because there are people who have just slow rise HCGs and end up having perfectly healthy pregnancies. But um, at that point, they did kind of monitor me at that point with doing consistent blood draws after that probably every couple of days. Um, I was about to go in for a second doctor's appointment and I immediately felt I, I was at this point when I found out I was pregnant, I never had any symptoms. I was completely fine. But about that five, six week mark, um, right after I'd had these blood draws, that was when the morning sickness hit. And I couldn't tell if it was morning sickness or if it was because I was coming off of a lot of these um, heavy medications, because some of the symptoms you can get from cold turkey coming off some of these meds are getting very ill. So it was kind of up in the air. I wasn't quite sure what was going on, but I was very sick. And then I noticed that 
I had a very sharp pain in one side, specifically in my left side. It felt like it was like the front of my body and back of my body. And um, I also do have endometriosis. So I've always experienced like pretty bad cramping and stuff. So I just thought maybe this was just what was normal for me with going through pregnancy. But um, I remember calling my sister, telling her and asking her because she was about, she was pregnant too. And she's a week ahead of me. So I was like, did you ever feel any cramping pains? Did you ever feel this? And immediately she said, you know, I want you to bring up ectopic to your doctor because I do know that maybe some cramping might be, and she was very sick in her pregnancy too. So, but she had told me, she's like, but I never felt any sharp pains in a specific side of my body. And I guess that's one of the number one things to look out for is a sharp pain on a specific side, right or left part of your body. If you just have general cramping kind of in your midsection, that can be very normal due to the, you know, baby, you have a baby in your belly, you're grow it's growing, but a sharp pain in a specific spot can be a really big signal that something might be going wrong. So I went to my doctor's office and the doctor's office I was going to was, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the hospital, but it was a hospital in Orange, California. And they were their that their doctor's office was right across the street from the hospital. So when I went in there and I told them how I was feeling, um, my mother-in-law took me to the hospital because I, or took me to the doctor's office because I couldn't drive because I was in that much pain. Um, they immediately told me to go to the emergency room. So I went to the emergency room. They did um, a transvaginal ultrasound. They said that they couldn't see a heartbeat or a baby or anything, but I guess it's very normal to not see anything in five, six weeks of pregnancy. But they said that my HCG and I was severely dehydrated. So they gave me lots of fluids. I was very, very sick, but they basically told me they don't think anything's wrong. My HCG that they did at the ER came back in around the 600s. So they said it's doubling like it's supposed to and that there was no cause for concern and that I just needed to rest and follow up with my doctor. So I left the hospital and again, I just knew something was wrong. And about, again, this was so long ago, so there might be a few things that I'm not getting perfectly correct, but I'm kind of just giving you guys the gist of how it all went down. I kept getting sicker and sicker. I couldn't keep anything down. I started losing a significant amount of weight. But again, I didn't think anything was really weird with that because my sister was experiencing the same thing. My sister lost a lot of weight in her first trimester of pregnancy. She was also extremely dehydrated, um, extremely sick. So I had held on to hope that maybe there wasn't anything wrong. But just a few days later, um, we were getting the HCG draws done. And if anyone doesn't know what that means, it's basically when they do take your blood to find out the levels of your HCG um, where they're at. When you're pregnant, you want to see your HCG levels doubling every, I think, 24 to 48 hours. Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But you do want to see those numbers doubling. So that's why they'll they'll monitor your HCG levels. And mine had now unfortunately stopped doubling. They actually were staying about the same. And I remember this was like a moment when my heart almost like sank was because they called me and I was praying that they were going to call me. It was after the ER visit. My numbers were in like the five, six hundreds. And the lady called me 
and told me my HCG levels. And she said, 1050, something like that. And so I was like, oh, 10, like 1050. And I was so excited. Cause I was like, oh my God, they're doubling. Everything's okay. And I was, I still like, oh my gosh, it gives me like chills thinking about it. But I remember being like so excited. And then in that moment, she's like, oh no, I'm, I'm so sorry. I meant to say 150. And in that moment, like everything stood still. And I just remember just having to, I was like talking myself into like, this happens. People have miscarriages, like just accept it. And at this point, again, I don't know I'm having an ectopic. At this point, we think I'm gonna ha- I'm having a miscarriage because now my HCG levels have just gone down. And so my doctor just basically advised that, yes, unfortunately you're having an, um, a miscarriage and we're just going to have to wait things out. And I'm so sorry, but you and your husband can try again and after the miscarriage. So a couple days went by, I ended up passing a very, very, very large clot of blood and sorry to be graphic. Maybe we'll put some kind of like warning. I mean, the title's ectopic pregnancy. So hopefully you guys are prepared for some of these, um, topics, but I basically passed a very large mass and we thought that that was the pregnancy. I remember I saved it and I put it in like a Ziploc bag because they told me to do that. And from the pictures and the stuff that I showed my doctor, they basically said, yes, that looks like that would be the fetus that would, that you just had a complete miscarriage. So now from this moment forward, we're going to just monitor your HCG levels until they get back down to zero. Well, then this was where things kind of took a turn because I could, I could just sense something was wrong. Something was not normal. I was getting in more pain. I was getting much more uncomfortable. I was getting sicker. And so at this point, I basically demanded that my doctor do stat blood draws, which means the blood draws will be done same day and you'll get the results the same day. So if you have a doctor that maybe the the situation is dire and they need to find out what's going on. They can order blood draws to be stat, which rushes the um, information. And so at this point, my doctor started, the, the levels were still going down. So there wasn't really too much cause for concern. But when I was saying how much pain I was in and saying how uncomfortable I was, that's when he did start to monitor me and get HCG draws every single day at this point before it was like every other day. Um, but I can't remember exactly which draw it was, but this was after I passed the, the mass and thought that I was having a complete miscarriage. And this is, listen up ladies, if you think that you might be having an ectopic, this is where you want to pay attention. Um, if you are in fact having a true miscarriage, your HCG levels should drop back to back down to zero. Sorry, I don't know if that's making noise. I keep accidentally hitting my microphone. Um, if you're having a true miscarriage, your HCG levels will will continue to decrease and go back down to zero. A a really big thing to pay attention to in potential risk for ectopic is if your levels start to rise again. And that's what started happening for me. I went in and I remember to bringing up to my doctor that I thought I was having an ectopic and he was very curious as to why I would assume that. He was like, you know, this is not a we never rule out ectopic, we rule in ectopic because there's so many 
things in early pregnancy that can resemble things going wrong when things are still perfectly fine. So we don't want to cause unnecessary stress to the mother and unnecessary stress and thinking something's wrong unless we have absolute proof that there is something wrong. But at this point, with all my symptoms and getting sicker, and I started getting like really bad migraines, very, very nauseous, could not hold anything down, was still losing a significant amount of weight. Um, the Again, I'm, I'm kind of giving you guys just the ballpark of how this went, but there was one draw and I, and I had access to my labs and I remember looking at my lab and my numbers had gone back up to the thousands and I instantly called my doctor's office and no one had called me and I called them and I was like, my numbers are back in the thousands. What is going on? What's going, what does this mean? I am. And I kept telling, and I just kept pushing. I didn't care how many times they told me to stop calling. I kept calling but again, I didn't call in like a frantic panic. I, I called with facts and evidence and I called them and I said flat out, oh my God, um, or no, I didn't say, oh my God, I just called them and I said, I don't know if something, this isn't right, but the research I've been doing says it can be a very bad sign if your HCG levels keep going up. And I just got my numbers back from Quest and they say they're in the thousands again. And instantly the receptionist lady said, okay, hold on one second, please. I'm going to I'm going to find the doctor. And in that moment, they called me, the doctor got on the phone. He said, I need you to come to the hospital right now. So I remember it felt like just like, it felt very scary, but it felt like almost like a, a sigh of relief that I was being taken seriously. And hopefully this roller coaster of not knowing what's going on was going to be, cause like I was obsessed. I was trying to find, and I hope that this podcast finds somebody and they find help in it because I was desperate to find just, I didn't even need medical advice or answers. I just needed to know somebody else experienced this and what did they have to do to get help? And he immediately told me to come to the hospital. I did. And he sat me down and he basically just said, yep, you uh, were right. Your intuition was right. You were um, having an ectopic pregnancy. Um, and he actually, I felt very appreciate appreciative that he took the time to basically say like, it's very good that you are so knowledgeable about your own health and being very aware of your body and how you felt. Because a lot of doctors sometimes will like diminish you for those things. But I think because I remained calm and because I was just always coming to him with facts of what was going on and how I was my exact symptoms and tracking all that stuff. So that's another tip I would give somebody if you suspect something might be going wrong with your pregnancy, get write stuff down, write down things that you can actually um, give as like evidence of symptoms to your doctor so that they can help you best because they can't just assume something's wrong because, you know, what they did next, you know, could cause a lot of issues to a pregnancy um, if they just assumed stuff. So I, I kind of want to push that because I know a lot of people get very overwhelmed with like, why didn't they help me or why didn't um, they take me seriously? And I think it's not that any doctor's intention is not to take someone seriously. I think that there is so many symptoms in early pregnancy that are very common that look very much like things that could be going wrong for somebody. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind that try and keep your calm, try and get all the factual evidence you have and demand that they give you the care that you need, demand that they do the testing and find out stuff. 
but um, kind of moving forward in that moment, he looked at me and he said, you have two options. You can either get surgery or you can um, take a, a chemotherapy drug called methotrexate where we're going to give you a shot and then we'll probably be giving you another shot and another shot. Like, But there's only about, and this is just numbers he gave me. So, you know, do your own research and find out your own information if possible. But he basically told me the reason the chemo drug can cause side effects and there's only about a 60% chance of it working. And he said with how high my HDG levels were rising and how far along I technically was in the pregnancy, he said that, you know, there, we want to avoid the risk of rupture. Um, so meaning that if an ectopic pregnancy basically means anywhere outside of the uterus. So for me, it was in my left fallopian tube. And if that would have burst, I could bleed out. And that's like the main issue with a tubal pregnancy of what they have to be careful and cautious of is um, if the baby keeps growing and they don't catch it in time, that's where it could rupture and you can bleed out before you can get to the hospital. So that's where the emergency situation comes in. After speaking with my husband about it, um, we decided to go with surgery. And in that very next morning at like, I think we had to be there at like 4am, I went in for surgery. Um, to give some specifics on my particular procedure, they did end up saving my tube. It's still up as if that was a good or a bad thing, because I've been told by some OBGYNs that that's not a good thing because the scar tissue of saving the tube could cause another ectopic. I've been told, no, that's great because it's easier to get pregnant with two tubes instead of one, but you can get pregnant with just one tube. Um, so if you did lose yours, or if you think you might lose yours, don't freak out about that. You can get pregnant with just one tube and there's, there's pros and cons to all this stuff. It's very unfortunate that we don't really have a, a way of being informed of what the outcome is going to be. Um, I am now four years out since that, and I have not gotten pregnant since. So I just want to kind of share that everybody's journey can look very different. I know many women who've had ectopics and, you know, a few, a few cycles later, they get pregnant with a healthy baby. So I hope that by sharing this, nobody thinks that their journey is going to turn out like mine or like anyone else's. We have to be very diligent about knowing that our own experiences are individual. And um, since then, I have basically been trying to get pregnant since, um, but there's just been a lot of hurdles in our way. Um, I'm actually going to be going in for a, what is this going to be my, I've had multiple surgeries, but this will be my second excision surgery of endometriosis. That's another condition that I do have. And I guess I didn't say this, but that this ectopic pregnancy was what got me officially diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, I, when they went in for the ectopic, the doctor said he saw extensive bleeding, which is indicative of endometriosis. And so he basically took the tissue and had it tested and I came back positive for endometriosis. So since then, and in probably another podcast, I'll go more into this specific, these specifics, and you guys can let me know if you have any questions for me, but I wanted to keep this podcast kind of short and sweet, specific on ectopic as a resource for anybody that might be going through it right now, or think they might be going through it or has gone through it and just wants to 
hear of another woman's story and maybe share their experience as well. We'd love to hear your experience if you want to share it with us in our Facebook group. Um, but that's how I got diagnosed officially with endometriosis. And since then, I have not had another ectopic, but um, we have done IVF. Unfortunately, that didn't work. Um, so we were kind of hoping IVF would work so that we could possibly avoid ectopic. You can still get an ectopic pregnancy from IVF, but it's, I guess it's supposed to be less likely um, because of the fact that they're putting the embryo back into your uterus, but there is cases of it traveling into the tube. But that's kind of like our journey so far. That's kind of what happened. And I really do believe that by being an advocate for myself and by not, by literally being like a right hand man in my experience with thinking that something was wrong with my pregnancy from the very beginning is what saved my life. Because I think that if I would have left it up to the doctors, I don't, I don't think it's fair, but I will be honest that I can understand that a lot of doctors have a lot of patients and they have a lot of stuff going on. And I, I can only expect them to be human. You know, I want to be treated like a human. So I only treat them as such. And I know that there's nothing, there's, they're not perfect. So I really do believe that if there was any piece of advice I can give anyone is if you think something's wrong, be your own advocate, do your best to get your, your research, um, for yourself. Again, we thought that I was having a miscarriage because everything pointed to that. Um, I had a full bleed out of what's supposed to, I guess, happen when you have a miscarriage. And so because I was so diligent about demanding that they continue to test my HCG levels and do it very promptly and find out where the levels were going. And again, I didn't wait for my doctor to call me. And I'm not saying that everyone has access to this, but where I was in California, I had access to all my labs at the same time or before my doctors did. So I always was quick to check on those labs. Um, and it, so if you're going to an outside lab, make sure that you can find out like, Hey, are you going to email me my results? Um, is there a way that I can get into a portal? Cause a lot of times you do have access to these things. We just don't realize it. Maybe they don't instruct us or give us this information. I didn't have any of this information. I kind of had to seek it out for myself. So with that said, I hope that I kind of gave you guys a little insight into like what my experience was. And hopefully you found this helpful. I'm going to just take a second to look at my phone and look at some of the questions that came in from you guys and just touch on those. But I really encourage you, if you listen to this episode and anything clicks for you, or you have something you want to share, please feel free to, you can reach out to me on my Instagram at Haley.Rianne. That's just at, it's, if you go to insidethejourney.com, both mine and Abby's handles are in there. So you can go and connect with us there or the best place would definitely be so that we can all be in, in the conversation and don't worry. It's a private group. Nobody has to know your story and we will never be mentioning names unless we have someone as like a guest and they want to be mentioned. Um, you can go to insidethejourney.com and you can join our inside the journey Facebook group. And we'd love to hear you share your stuff there. But let me look at these. So I was asked, um, saying, I really hope you didn't, but did you lose the tube with the ectopic? Because I did. And I'm so sorry that you lost your tube. Um, again, 
I was told two different things. I did not lose my tube, but then I can't, I remember feeling so, uh, to be honestly, I felt really pissed off the way that this doctor told me, like I said, oh, and they, and I was excited to say like, and they saved my tube and she was, and she literally looked at me like, uh, they should not have done that because that's going to make things much harder for you. And I remember being like, what? Like so irritated because I thought that was a good thing. But then this one doctor said it was a bad thing, but I've had other doctors say, no, it's a good thing. They kept your tube. So we're damned if we do damned if we don't, to be honest with you, everything has its pros and cons, but yes, I did have my left tube saved. Um, since then I've had multiple, if anyone knows what this is, we've talked about on other podcasts, HSGs, which stands for histiosalpingogram and it's the most painful. Abby agrees and she doesn't have tubal issues. And she said it was the most painful experience for her too. Like it was just, it's a very uncomfortable procedure where they basically shoot, um, die through your tubes. Um, both ones I've had done while I was awake were excruciating. My last excision surgery, they did it while I was asleep and they said my tubes were open. This last surgery that I did in January when I was asleep, they said my tubes were open. So I do want to actually touch on this, that I've been told that especially after our body's gone through a certain, a kind of trauma, your fallopian tubes can contract. So always keep that in mind that if say HSG is saying that your tubes are blocked, there is a chance that the radiologist doing it could be introducing the dye too fast. And they could be contracting and causing a false blockage. So just something to keep in mind. I'm not saying that that's what's happening, but there's a lot of things we can be told by some fertility doctors that make us feel like there's absolutely no hope and we're just screwed. And then there's other fertility doctors that I've had the pleasure of being around that say, actually, none of that's true. That's all assumption. And as long as you're producing follicles and ovulating, there's always a chance. So just keep your hopes up with that. And try not to um, get too discouraged by the experiences that you've had because we can't change those, but we can try and, you know, just look at the positive as much as we possibly can. Um, how to know if it's endometriosis that's causing your infertility. And I'll go into a whole episode speaking much more on endometriosis, but I do want to answer this question. Um, if you are struggling to get pregnant and you do have diagnosed endometriosis, there's a very good chance that that could be a root cause issue because endometriosis is one of the most highly known conditions that can cause and make getting pregnant very difficult. However, there are many, many, many women out there that have endometriosis that get pregnant just fine. So I don't want to ever fear monger anyone into thinking that just because you have endometriosis, you're screwed. You're, that's not the case. There's many women who have endometriosis and get pregnant easily. Endometriosis can affect everyone a little bit differently because it's basically an excess growth of scar tissue outside of the uterus. And normally um, our immune systems would be able to detect that and get rid of it. But when you have endometriosis, your immune system is compromised. And for some reason, our body doesn't, and this is just my layman's term interpretation of it. Um, but hopefully in the future, we'll have like an actual professional, like a doctor or something that can come on and give more description of this. But basically our body doesn't recognize that tissue as foreign. And it basically just continues to grow on organs and 
create a lot of havoc in our systems. However, there's some women that are more affected by that scar tissue in their reproductive area. And then some women who might have endometriosis, but it doesn't attack their, for, uh, their reproductive system is bad, but it can attack more of like their bowels and their bladder and their kidneys and different organs of the body. Um, I guess there's been reports where they've found endometriosis up into people's lungs and, and even in their brain in some cases. And so it's def it's a whole body disease. That's one thing that most people don't understand is it's not just an infertility disease. It's a whole body disease that can affect people very differently. So I would recommend that if you are struggling to get pregnant and you do know you have endometriosis or you suspect you do, talk with an endometriosis specialist. I will leave some of these um this information in the show notes, but a really, you want to make sure you're reaching out to endo specialists. So a place that you can go to find really, and endo specialists can be different endo surgeons. You're going to want to look at nook specialists, which there's a Facebook group, which I'll, I'll leave the link in the show notes called Nancy's nook. That's a great place to find the resources that you need to find a certified nook specialist, um, surgeon to work with. But there's also a lot of other modalities out there that can help with endometriosis. So everything from fertility acupuncture to, um, you know, fertility massage, Mayan massage. Um, there's another one. I can't think of the name right now, but um, it's a different type of massage that can help. So there's a lot of different avenues you can take um, when it comes to treating your endometriosis and trying to find out what ways are going to help you. Um, and then another question I got on Instagram was insurance. Why does healthcare for anything female related suck? That is very true. And it's very unfortunate. Um, it's kind of sad that getting fertility coverage and insurance is next to impossible. Um, I will probably do another podcast. Both Abby and I might do this together where we talk about affording fertility stuff or everything like that. But I'll just kind of touch on this a little bit of there's, if you have a condition like PCOS, endometriosis, Hashimoto's, any of those things that are affecting your fertility, but they also affect other parts of your life. Like for example, I have my doctors work on coding to my insurance. They don't code as, oh, we're trying to get her pregnant. Unless you're working with a fertility clinic, then you can, there's not really a way around that. But there is ways to have fertility fertility stuff that like is going to help your fertility. Like for example, my endometriosis surgeries and stuff that is billed as a, like, I don't really know, but it's definitely not just, it's not talked about, or it's not billed for like fertility. It's on the side, I think of like pain management or, you know, quality of life kind of things, things that my insurance will cover. So you kind of have to be very aware of what your insurance will help you with and what they won't help you with so that you can make sure that the doctors you're working with will code and bill your insurance in a way that will help you get things covered. I've been told a bunch of times, you know, oh, go work for Starbucks or go work for Amazon because I guess they have insurance that covers it. And it's like, look, I'm not going to um, work. And I'm not saying it's wrong for other people to do it, but for me, I also want to enjoy my life and I'm not going to allow infertility to force me to do things that will ultimately make me not enjoy my current living um, just so I can have fertility coverage because this is the way I look at it. 
unless you're getting fertility coverage offered to you from like a business for completely free and it's enough to cover all your expenses, the amount of money, and this is why I love working for myself, the amount of money I could be earning from my own business might equal out that kind of coverage anyways. I know it can seem nice when you think that like insurance will cover 20 grand of, of procedures, but what if you could just, what if like working for yourself made you make like five times the amount that you would make being employed by someone else who might just cover a 20 grand IVF uh, procedure, right? So that's the way I like to look at it is I like to just weigh out all of my options and see, find ways that I can be earning enough money to put aside for some of these treatments that don't get covered by insurance and then be also very strategic with the medical coverage I'm getting for things that do get covered by my insurance. Like, for example, we did this diagnostic pr procedure for my endometriosis in January. So that way I could pay, I did pay a large lump sum. But now any surgeries I need after that are going to be happening throughout this year. So my insurance will very much cover that. So that's a big tip. If you think that you might need to get a surgery, do it within the beginning of the year if possible. So that way it goes towards your, um, towards that cycle of your insurance. So that way that, you know, if you do it, and I don't know why they did this for me, my one surgery I did was in December of 2020, 2020. So yeah, all that money I spent went to my insurance, but then the whole, I don't know how, what these terms, what terms I'm trying to use are, but like the policy restarted at the beginning of 2021. So it's much smarter to try and get, if you have to do surgery or you have to do stuff that's going to cost you a lot of money, do it in the beginning of the year. So that goes all towards your out-of-pocket and your deductible. So that way, hopefully you hit your out-of-pocket and deductible and you get a hundred percent covered by your doctors. Um, we're not going to have it because it's already too far into the year, but like my goal was like, oh, maybe we'll get pregnant. We'll get these things covered and we'll get pregnant in the beginning of the year. And then when I have my baby or something, all of my medical stuff for that will be covered at a hundred percent because I had all these procedures done in the earlier in the year, but we're already halfway through 2023. So that's not going to happen, but that's a way you can look at it. But yes, that is a big, huge pain in the ass that sadly a lot of things that we should have um, access to coverage wise. And, and this is just my opinion too. I get that there might be some women who do IVF for different reasons. Like some women just, you know, maybe they want to have kids later in life. And so they want to freeze embryos ahead of time. Okay. Maybe I understand that maybe that should be charged full price, but for women who have been diagnosed with medical conditions, I feel like, and there's, and there's reasoning behind possibly not being able to have children naturally. I wish that they had an option to give discounts or give some kind of coverage. So who knows? You never know what, you never know what we might make happen with this podcast. Maybe things start to change in the next few years, you know, got to think big, got to think big picture that maybe that might be something in the future that is offered to us women going through infertility. Um, just two more questions and then we'll end this podcast. And then I would love to know your guys' thoughts on this one. Um, again, there will be a discussion in the Facebook group. Um, is there anything I can do to increase my 
low AMH levels. So I also do have very low AMH. The last time I had it checked was 0.5, which is very, very low for my age. Around my age, you should be looking at seeing like 1.5 to 2.5. Um, this is something else that we'll probably have a separate podcast that we go into this more in depth because it's funny, like I, I'm opposite of Abby. Abby has like a crazy high AMH compared to me who has a very low AMH. And I will say this, surgery can affect your AMH levels because when they start, when they go in there, start messing around on your ovaries, it can lower your AMH levels. But does it, in, let me just finish this question. Um, does it impact my chance of conceiving if I ovulate? So many conflicting messages. Thank you. So that's the big thing though, is one of the things I was told by the doctor I'm working with now was low doesn't mean no. And high doesn't mean yes. So as long as you are ovulating, as long as during a follicle scan, there is follicles there and you are in fact ovulating, you can get pregnant. All your AMH means is, and it stands for anti-malarian hormone. It cannot tell you the quality of your eggs. It's basically like a little vault that can, the number can basically predict, or they say it can potentially predict how fast you'll be running out of eggs. So if you're, if it's lower it can be a sign that you'll be running out of eggs faster than someone with maybe a higher AMH number. However, there has been a lot of research that has shown that if you have something like endometriosis or any kind of autoimmune condition, you could have falsely low AMH numbers. Basically like your body can just be on dormant and like not wanting to give you the real number of what your vault says because you, your body is not actually in a fertile state. It's kind of dormant. Like for me, I have very abnormally low numbers in most infertility stuff that you'll read. They say like, oh, it's bad to have high FSH, high, low, high FSH, low AMH. Well, for me, I have very low everything. I have low testosterone, low DHEAs, low AMH, low FSH, everything's low. So this is my own like little interpretation of that. And I feel like my body is basically battling inflammation, battling things that wouldn't allow for a, a fertile state, right? So I am, I am very optimistic that with getting this surgery done, getting some of this toxic tissue out of endometriosis, um, being more consumed with as healthy of a, of a lifestyle as I can have as an anti-inflammatory of a lifestyle as I can have, maybe those numbers are going to change. So I'm not here to give any medical advice and I'm not here to say, oh yeah, for sure. AMH levels can change. But from what I've been told by my doctors, at least this current MAPRO doctor that I'm working with now, who's my surgeon, she flat out said, I've seen AMH levels change after we get to the root cause of what's causing your um, body to basically attack itself. So that's the advice I would give for that. And again, I want to say that I, I agree that it's very conflicting messages, but as long as you are ovulating and you can see follicles in a, in a transvaginal ultrasound, you have the ability to get pregnant. It does not matter what your number is. And then finally, um, I was asked, did you have any kind of psychological support after the ectopic pregnancy? How was the recovery Thanks for sharing your feelings and experience with us. Thank you so much for this question and thank you for your kind words. Um, I did have psychological um, help mainly because I was having extensive psychological help before I got pregnant. 
because I had, and this is a story for another time, but I had a situation of going through um, sleep deprivation and I was put on like a lot of medications and stuff because I basically lost my mind for a little while. And so it was very adamant that I was being monitored very closely and I was going to therapy and I was talking about this because it can be a very isolating scenario. Um, and so I was very grateful that I did have a therapist that I was speaking with. I didn't go back on any medications because I was very big about wanting to get pregnant again as soon as I could. Um, so I didn't want to go on any meds, but I was with a talk therapist probably about two or three times a week in the beginning. And then I kind of slowly tapered to one time a week and then once every other couple of weeks um, over time. Um, recovery was Recovery wasn't as bad as like excision surgery has been. Um, I was in the hospital um, for, I can't remember if I was, if I ended up staying the night in the hospital or if I went home like super, super, I think I went home. I just wanted to get home as soon as possible. So I was in the hospital like pretty much all day. And then like probably at like two in the morning, I told my husband like, come get me. I don't want to be here anymore. Like I just want to go home. So um, walking was very difficult. Um, for quite a few weeks, a lot of soreness, a lot of pain. Um, I don't do well with anesthesia, so I get very, very sick with anesthesia. So I would say that the recovery from the surgery was rough more so because I don't do well with pain medication and I don't do well with um, anesthesia. But I would say it was probably about a week later, I was pretty much back to normal. Um, they didn't do a lot. Like they basically just went in and, oh, actually before we end this, um, I do want to give this as like a warning to anybody who, if you have an ectopic, if you don't want to see the baby, basically, if you, and you don't want to see what your insides look like, and you don't want to see that, let them know that ahead of time, because they will, and your, your uh, post-op appointment, they will come in and show you the pictures, like I remember I sat on the um, hospital, little hospital bed in the doctor's office or not the hospital, bed, whatever the doctor's office bed that you sit in when you go in their office. And I sat there and he just whipped him out and was like, hey, okay. He's like, so this was the baby. And I was like, uh, okay. And I remember I was just like in such shock. Like I didn't feel any emotion. I was just kind of like, oh, I didn't, if I could go back, I would ask you not to show me that. But again, legally, I think that they have to disclose everything that happened and really make it. But so if you're not wanting to see stuff like that, make sure they know it ahead of time. Be like, please just put the pictures and everything in a folder for me that I can maybe look at at a different time. But I don't want to see anything. Just kind of give me the gist of what's going on and what I need to do moving forward. But I don't want to see the pictures. So I do want to say that. Um, and we have to remember like doctors, like they're doing this every single day and their job is just to like save our lives and do, and especially when you're talking to a surgeon, a surgeon is not a therapist. They are not a holistic doctor. They are not any of a nutritionist. They're none of those things. So don't ask them what you can eat. Don't ask them, um, any advice on your mental health stuff. Majority of them are kind of like robots and they don't, and I'm not saying all of them are because I've had, I have the pleasure of working with a doctor right now that just seems like she's got such a well-rounded 
way of advising me for multiple things, but try not to take it personal when your doctors or the nurses in the hospital are kind of treating you very cold. I have a lot of friends that are in the medical industry. I have a lot of family in the medical industry. And one of my girlfriends who's an ER nurse, she even says, she's like, I don't think people realize like if we got emotional for everything that we saw on our daily shifts, like we would be broken. So we really kind of have to go in with zero emotion into a lot of things. So I just want to put that out there. And I want to say that if anybody listens to this and you're currently going through an ectopic, um, I'm so sorry. Please know that you're not alone. Please know that you have, um, you know, reach out to anybody that you can, um, that you think could help you be cautious of getting advice from just anybody though. Um, many people mean well, but if you open up that can of worms for some people, they can tend to kind of just go down a rabbit hole of a bunch of shit that might scare you more or might make things, um, more confusing for you. So just be aware to seek advice from those that you feel will, um, be helpful. And again, if you're listening to this and you need someone to talk to, or you just need to share your experience, we're never going to offer medical advice, but we can offer support and help. So feel free to connect with us in our Facebook group called inside the journey. Um, and you can get to that by going to inside the journey.com. Um, but I hope that this podcast was helpful for somebody. I hope that I answered some of your guys' questions and, if there's anything at all that I missed or you want to know more about, please um, let me know because I'd be happy to record another podcast going a little bit more in detail about this if needed. But I hope you all have an amazing rest of your day. And if you're listening to this, just exercising, doing whatever during the day, I hope uh, you learned, learned a little something and it was a little educational. But I hope you all have an amazing rest of your day and I will... See you guys in the next episode. Bye.